Chapter Nine, Forbidden Marriages. There is in the Christian world an astonishing, alarming indifference to the teaching of God's word in regard to the marriage of Christians with unbelievers. Many who profess to love and fear God choose to follow the bent of their own minds rather than take counsel of infinite wisdom. In a matter which vitally concerns the happiness and well-being of both parties for this world and the next, reason, judgment, and the fear of God are set aside, and blind impulse, stubborn determination, are allowed to control. Men and women who are otherwise sensible and conscientious. Close their ears to counsel; they are deaf to the appeals and entreaties of friends and kindred, and of the servants of God. The expression of a caution or warning is regarded as impertinent meddling, and the friend who is faithful enough to utter a remonstrance is treated as an enemy. All this is as Satan would have it. He weaves his spell about the soul. It becomes bewitched, infatuated. Reason lets fall the reins of self-control upon the neck of lust. Unsanctified passion bears sway until, too late, the victim awakens to a life of misery and bondage. This is not a picture drawn by the imagination, but a recital of facts. God's sanction is not given to unions, which He has expressly forbidden. The Lord commanded ancient Israel not to intermarry with the idolatrous nations around them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter shall not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. The reason is given: infinite wisdom, foreseeing the result of such unions, declares, "For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee." To be a special people unto Himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. In the New Testament are similar prohibitions concerning the marriage of Christians with the ungodly. The Apostle Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, declares: "The wife." Is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. Again, in his second epistle, he writes, "Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness?" With unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? 
And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons, and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The curse of God rests upon many of the ill-timed, inappropriate connections that are formed in this age of the world. If the Bible left these questions in a vague, uncertain light, then the course that many youth of today are pursuing in their attachments for one another would be more excusable. But the requirements of the Bible are not halfway injunctions. They demand perfect purity of thought, of word, and of deed. We are grateful to God that His word is a light to the feet and that none need mistake the path of duty. The young should make it a business to consult its pages and heed its counsels for sad mistakes are always made in departing from its precepts. Never should God's people venture upon forbidden ground. Marriage between believers and unbelievers is forbidden by God. But too often, the unconverted heart follows its own desires, and marriages unsanctioned by God are formed. Because of this, many men and women are without hope and without God in the world. Their noble aspirations are dead. By a chain of circumstances, they are held in Satan's net. Those who are ruled by passion and impulse will have a bitter harvest to reap in this life, and their course may result in the loss of their souls. Those who profess the truth trample on the will of God in marrying unbelievers. They lose his favor and make bitter work for repentance. The unbelieving may possess an excellent moral character, but the fact that he or she has not answered to the claims of God and has neglected so great salvation is sufficient reason why such a union should not be consummated. The character of the unbelieving may be similar to that of the young man to whom Jesus addressed the words, One thing thou lackest. That was the one thing needful. There are men of poverty and obscurity whose lives God would accept and make full of usefulness on earth 
and of glory in heaven. But Satan is working persistently to defeat his purposes and drag them down to perdition by marriage with those whose character is such that they throw themselves directly across the road to life. Very few come out from this entanglement triumphant. Satan well knew the results that would attend obedience and during the earlier years of Solomon's reign, years glorious because of the wisdom, the beneficence, and the uprightness of the king, he sought to bring in influences that would insidiously undermine Solomon's loyalty to principle and cause him to separate from God. And that the enemy was successful in this effort, we know from the record. Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David. In forming an alliance with a heathen nation and sealing the compact by marriage with an idolatrous princess, Solomon rashly disregarded the wise provisions that God had made for maintaining the purity of his people. The hope that this Egyptian wife might be converted was but a feeble excuse for the sin. In violation of a direct command to remain separate from other nations, the king united his strength with the arm of flesh. For a time, God in his compassionate mercy overruled this terrible mistake. Solomon's wife was converted, and the king, by a wise course, might have done much to check the evil forces that his imprudence had set in operation. But Solomon began to lose sight of the source of his power and glory. Inclination gained the ascendancy over reason. As his self-confidence increased, he sought to carry out the Lord's purpose in his own way. Many professed Christians think like Solomon, that they may unite with the ungodly because their influence over those who are in the wrong will be beneficial. But too often, they themselves, entrapped and overcome, yield their sacred faith, sacrifice principle, and separate themselves from God. One false step leads to another, till at last they place themselves where they cannot hope to break the chains that bind them. The plea is sometimes made that the unbeliever is favorable to religion and is all that could be desired in a companion except in one thing, he is not a Christian. Although the better judgment of the believer may suggest the impropriety of a union for life with an unbeliever, yet in nine cases out of ten, Inclination triumphs. Spiritual declension commences the moment the vow is made at the altar. Religious fervor is dampened. 
and one stronghold after another is broken down until both stand side by side under the black banner of Satan. Even in the festivities of the wedding, the spirit of the world triumphs against conscience, faith, and truth. In the new home, the hour of prayer is not respected. The bride and bridegroom have chosen each other and dismissed Jesus. At first, the unbelieving one may make no show of opposition in the new relation. But when the subject of Bible truth is presented for attention and consideration, the feeling at once arises. You married me knowing that I was what I am. I do not wish to be disturbed. From henceforth, let it be understood that conversation upon your peculiar views is to be interdicted. If the believer should manifest any special earnestness in regard to his faith, it might seem like unkindness toward the one who has no interest in the Christian experience. The believing one reasons that in his new relation he must concede somewhat to the companion of his choice. Social worldly amusements are patronized. At first, there is great reluctance of feeling in doing this, but the interest in the truth becomes less and less, and faith is exchanged for doubt and unbelief. No one would have suspected that the once firm, conscientious believer and devoted follower of Christ could ever become the doubting, vacillating person that he now is. Oh, the change wrought by that unwise marriage. It is a dangerous thing to form a worldly alliance. Satan well knows that the hour that witnesses the marriage of many young men and women closes the history of their religious experience and usefulness. They are lost to Christ. They may for a time make an effort to live a Christian life, but all their strivings are made against a steady influence in the opposite direction. Once it was a privilege and joy to them to speak of their faith and hope, but they become unwilling to mention the subject, knowing that the one with whom they have linked their destiny takes no interest in it. As the result, faith in the precious truth dies out of the heart, and Satan insidiously weaves about them a web of skepticism. Can two walk together except they be agreed? If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. But how strange the sight! While one of those so closely united is engaged in devotion, the other is indifferent and careless. While one is seeking the way to everlasting life, the other is in the broad road to death. Hundreds have sacrificed Christ in heaven in consequence of marrying unconverted persons. 
can it be that the love and fellowship of Christ are of so little value to them that they prefer the companionship of poor mortals? Is heaven so little esteemed that they are willing to risk its enjoyments for one who has no love for the precious Savior? To connect with an unbeliever is to place yourself on Satan's ground. You grieve the Spirit of God and forfeit his protection. Can you afford to have such terrible odds against you in fighting the battle for everlasting life? Ask yourself, Will not an unbelieving husband lead my thoughts away from Jesus? He is a lover of pleasure more than a lover of God. Will he not lead me to enjoy the things that he enjoys? The path to eternal life is steep and rugged. Take no additional weights to retard your progress. The heart yearns for human love. But this love is not strong enough or pure enough or precious enough to supply the place of the love of Jesus. Only in her Savior can the wife find wisdom, strength, and grace to meet the cares, responsibilities, and sorrows of life. She should make him her strength and her guide. Let woman give herself to Christ before giving herself to any earthly friend and enter into no relation which shall conflict with this. Those who would find true happiness must have the blessing of heaven upon all that they possess and all that they do. It is disobedience to God that fills so many hearts and homes with misery. My sister, unless you would have a home where the shadows are never lifted. Do not unite yourself with one who is an enemy of God. What ought every Christian to do when brought into the trying position which tests the soundness of religious principle? With a firmness worthy of imitation, he should say frankly, I am a conscientious Christian. I believe the seventh day of the week to be the Sabbath of the Bible. Our faith and principles are such that they lead in opposite directions. We cannot be happy together. For if I follow on to gain a more perfect knowledge of the will of God, I shall become more and more unlike the world and assimilated to the likeness of Christ. If you continue to see no loveliness in Christ, no attractions in the truth, you will love the world which I cannot love, while I shall love the things of God which you cannot love. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And without spiritual discernment, you will be unable to see the claims of God upon me or to realize my obligations to the Master whom I serve. Therefore, you will feel that I neglect you for religious duties. You will not be happy. You will be jealous on account of the affections which I give to God, and I shall be alone in my religious belief.
When your views shall change, when your heart shall respond to the claims of God, and you shall learn to love my Savior, then our relationship may be renewed. The believer thus makes a sacrifice for Christ which his conscience approves and which shows that he values eternal life too highly to run the risk of losing it. He feels that it would be better to remain unmarried than to link his interest for life with one who chooses the world rather than Jesus and who would lead away from the cross of Christ. It is only in Christ that a marriage alliance can be safely formed. Human love draws its closest bonds from divine love. Only where Christ reigns can there be deep, true, unselfish love. He who has entered the marriage relation while unconverted is by his conversion placed under stronger obligation to be faithful to his companion, however widely they may differ in regard to religious faith. Yet the claims of God should be placed above every earthly relationship, even though trials and persecution may be the result. With a spirit of love and meekness, this fidelity may have an influence to win the unbelieving one.